After more than 20 years with Panasonic, Magnus McDermott has learned a lot about what it means to truly partner with a customer and the types of innovations and advancements that can be born out of those relationships. Magnus holds a number of positions within Panasonic, including SVP of Panasonic North America and Panasonic Canada President Heartland Customer Solutions, SVP Mobility Solutions of the USA, and VP of Enterprise Solutions for Canada. But regardless of what title he holds, Magnus explains that his success and the success of the company as a whole all comes down to the relationships with the customer. It is through these relationships that some of Panasonic's most popular and important products have been created, and the partnership between the company and the customer continues to be a well of innovation. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Magnus talks about all of that and more, plus he gives his advice on how to stick and grow within a company for decades. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And on the other line, Magnus, what's going on? Hey, Ian. Keeping busy. Um, things are good at Panasonic. Uh, nice to talk to you today. Yeah, so we're going to get into, you've had a long career at Panasonic, and we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about some uh, deliveries, some rapid application development, uh, some voice stuff. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk through some tough book action. Uh, I have a good tough book story for you and all that. But but first, how did you uh, how did you get to Panasonic in the first place? Uh, I actually, uh, I, I immigrated to, from Scotland to Canada back in 1989. And I had a background in the, the food services business. And I ended up working for a UK company who was uh, reselling and distributing payment systems and POS systems and those types of, of products, mostly to the hotel industry. And through that, we, as a company, started reselling some Panasonic uh, POS systems. So really from there, I got to know some people at Panasonic, was engaged with them, was doing some buying and uh, some joint projects. And an opportunity came up with them to, to join their sort of POS food service and retail group. And I joined the company in 1996. So that's how I, that's how I ended up at Panasonic. You know, early in those days, what was the what were the things that we're excited about? You know, working in technology and all of that. Yeah, I mean, Panasonic was you know one of the one of the big brands. It was a in those days particularly known for consumer products. So I had a sort of you know, cachet about it. Although the company at that point was majority consumer products, that had a you know a fairly strong B two B business that most people didn't even realize we were in. And uh, the POS food service retail group I joined was, uh, we had some major contracts with some major uh, quick service chains. So it was just an opportunity to, to join a, a big company that was involved in many, many businesses and uh, you know, was a very strong leader in the market at that time and still is. And so tell me a little bit about like your current role, what, what you're doing, what's the scope of responsibilities, size of the team and all that. Okay, I have... Two roles, uh, well, really three roles, but two major ones. Uh, so I 
I'm primarily based out of our Toronto facility, our Toronto area, and I run all of our B2B solutions business for the Canadian market. You know, Toughbook, uh, some security business, uh, professional AV, uh, communications products, security. And then three years ago, I was asked to concurrently run the Toughbook mobility business for the United States, and that's part of Panasonic Solutions uh, company based in New York, New Jersey. So I, I bounce between the two. And then recently, I've also taken on uh, a role. We made an acquisition of our services company uh, out of Kansas City, Missouri. They do a lot of our deployment and configuration and repair services. So I'm heading that organization at least through a transitionary period. You know, looking at you know our listeners, a lot of CIOs, IT leaders, and people that are you know CTOs and focus on productivity, on the new worker, on what it means to be a new worker. One of the things that is really exciting about, you know, Panasonic, and as someone who, you know, you might not know this, but uh, so I spent about a decade in the Army, and I had a tough book when I was uh, in the Army and also when I was deployed to Afghanistan. So I spent many years with the tough book. But, you know, I think there's a lot of people that in kind of the new age that, didn't used to have computers that now absolutely have to have a computer every single day as their workstation. What do you see as kind of like the writing on the wall here for organizations that have folks that are out in the field that are doing stuff that need something, you know, reliable that doesn't break and all that? Yeah, well, it's, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you, you know, Toughbook well. I mean, Toughbook uh, was really designed because of customer feedback. So back in 95, 96, customers wanted to start having mobile workers use software applications out in the field. We were really moving from the, you know, the clipboard and pen days. And what they found was, you know, traditional consumer type devices just didn't, you know, withstand that. They didn't work well in vehicles. They didn't work well outside. And that was really how Toughbook was originally built and conceived. So, you know, customers like the military, customers like utilities and police agencies and uh, first responders, these have been our sort of core customers for many years now. Uh, and it's really allowing them to drive more applications out to the field, more applications to their, their field workers. And that has just evolved and continues to evolve, you know, since we started this business. Now it's almost like all workers are now equipped with devices. Uh, so we have a range of devices to do different things. We have vehicle-mounted devices. We have handhelds for personal use. And, you know, the, the infrastructure and ecosystem that people need to uh, situate with their field workers just continues to grow, continues to grow. And we continue to be part of that uh, product development as well as working with a lot of software and application partners to, you know, drive more of those solutions to those mobile workers. Do you think that like the future work and tough jobs uh, and things like that, I mean, where does this, where does it kind of go with some of this stuff? Because I think, you know, as you kind of mentioned with so many devices, with so many different things, you have kind of the folks who are, uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of executives that like pretty much only use their phone now for work because they don't ever need to do anything that, you know, has a spreadsheet or anything like that. And then you have other folks who who really need to have a desktop all the time. Do you think that, you know, the way that the worker changes as well as the device? Yeah, I mean, I'll continue to evolve. I mean, mobility uh, is truly becoming mobility. We're looking things around wearables in the future. 
you know, a lot of it depends on the software ecosystem and customers as well and what, what they need those workers to do. I talk to companies all the time. We're looking at payment systems like facial recognition, um, you know, all sorts of Uber-like type applications running in different types of industries. And I just think there's a massive focus. But the core comes down to we, we deploy these devices in areas that are just, you know, as you had with your own experience, very mission critical. They just can't fail. So the, the commitment that we have to building high quality engineering, things that we can withstand, because if the device breaks or the hardware breaks, the technology breaks, you can no longer deploy the software. So that's kind of you know, our, our position. We specialize in this. Uh, we don't make consumer you know, computing devices. Uh, we, we're a highly specialized niche player, if you like, in, in B2B solutions. So that's where we see our continued development. And it all really comes down to having very close relationships with customers, working with them just as we devise Toughbook based on the voice of customer. It's continued to work and continue to uh, be close to customers and build products and solutions that really help them, you know, solve the problems that are on hand. And that's part of all the whole Gemba philosophy you're probably starting to hear from Panasonic right now. Yeah, and how do you do that? How do you work with customers and get feedback? And what are those types of customers? So our, our main customer groups, I always like to, you know, we deal with IT and C-suite customers all the time when we're talking about technology advancement. But the great thing about Toughbook is it's a really blue-collar business. You know, our, our customers are, you know, driving trucks and working in mines and utility companies and, you know, armed forces. And so we try and engage as closely as we can. We have engineering teams who will work with customers on future technology. We have close, obviously, sales and product teams. We spend a lot of our time doing uh, type advisory type events where we bring in end user groups. We will bring engineers from Japan and we'll talk about, you know, the future of their industry, what technology is working right now, what pain points they have. So, you know, it's not just our whole marketing and product and communication with the customer isn't just all done online. It's, it's very much face-to-face and personal. And through that, we have you know, work with major corporations to develop new types of products and solutions. And it's, to me, uh, sales and marketing is really more or less about numbers and more about relationships with customers. And, uh, you know, Panasonic has done a good job with that over the years. And, you know, we've maintained long-term relationships with customers because I think we're seen as a trusted partner to be able to bring technology to them. I don't know if I'm saying this right, so we might need to cut it, but is the Gemba process, the Gemba process, what's it? The, yeah, Gemba. Uh, yeah, okay. relative, I, I hadn't heard the word either, Ian, so don't feel so bad. It's it's a very well-known word in Japan. Okay, yeah. Can you tell us about this? What Gemba really is, Gemba process innovation, Gemba really in Japan literally means where work is done. So I always use the example, if you're working in a warehouse and you're picking boxes, that's Gemba. If you're, you know, a data entry person and you're entering data, that's Gemba. That's that's literally what it means. The process innovation part is really where we sort of start to build technology. So the company's focus, uh, or this part of the company, Panasonic's a very diverse organization, is really focusing on key markets, you know, supply chain, logistics, manufacturing, and all the changes that are happening there, mostly driven by e-commerce. 
and how do we drive technology solutions to help you know trucking companies, warehousing companies, companies involved in the delivery of goods for for e-commerce to help streamline operations, make them cheaper, make them more efficient. Everybody's seen the highly automated you know Amazon facilities, but there are thousands of other facilities across the country that are much more manual and much more traditional, and you know we help. Uh, facilitate and drive some new solutions around there. And then we look at, you know, policing, for example, where we've got, you know, huge market share with our traditional devices. What's next for them? Where we're working on some projects around minimizing distracted driving, helping them consolidate a lot of the information. Uh, they, they tend to operate with several different databases of information while in the vehicle in a high-speed situation. So we're working on some software applications that helps consolidate that and deliver the information, say, with a heads-up display, for example. So these are the types of, you know, we, we take our sort of core customer relationship where we're driving devices, and then we try and work with them to solve additional problems and build new technology and technology solutions that, they, that will help them drive their business. So essentially, that's the essence of, of Gemba process innovation. One of the things I've found really interesting was that Panasonic had been around 100 years. I mean, it's just remarkable to be in an organization that has that much history. What is that? What is it kind of like carrying the mantle at a company when you've been innovating for, you know, 100 years since before anyone in the company was was alive? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a remarkable story. I, I don't know if it ever gets you know, as much attention maybe in, in the Western world than it, it probably has. I mean, the, the business was started by Mr. Matt Schuster building a light bulb adapter in the back room of his house, you know, in 1918. And from there, you know, also the, the company survived the Second World War, which, you know, obviously for Jap- Japan was economically very difficult. And, you know, by the mid-60s, they were you know, globally expanding into becoming one of the largest electronic manufacturers in the world. So, you know, it's a tremendous story of business success when you look at it that way. You know, the early company was also quite innovative in terms of work culture and things like that. They introduced the first company to have a five-day working week in Japan, for example. But what Masusta did early was, was work out how to do distribution, how to diversify the company. Um, he introduced couple of things, a kind of whole philosophy around autonomous management. And then he set a sort of core set of principles that run the business. And so there's the seven core Panasonic principles, if you ever look them up. And, you know, frankly, when you look at them, they're just as relevant today as, you know, they ever were. But I think that why Panasonic has survived so long is it has been highly diversified, moved into many different business areas, and that has allowed it to you know, ride out various technology trends. And, you know, as one business maybe fades, as technology change, we have other, you know, growing businesses on other parts of the company. So it's it's a great story. I mean, I've worked with Panasonic for a long time, as you said, but I've been able to do lots of different things within Panasonic because it really is a quite a diverse collection of different businesses. So how do you innovate internally? Do you do things like hackathons or, you know, like citizen development or things like that? Like what types of things do you do to have employees inside your org, you know, stay innovative? We, we try and keep as many parts of the, the business as, as we can uh, centered around customers. And then we have some specialized innovation uh, groups based 
predominantly in Japan, but some here in the United States. So we will put those groups together, particularly with customers. And, you know, quite often it's, I deal with a lot of these innovation groups. We've got a lot of technology. They just kind of developed because it was good technology to, de- to develop and they didn't actually have a use case for it. And so that's where there's a, sometimes it's great to connect our, you know, employees who are close to customers or product groups. I'll give you an example. Facial recognition technology was initially designed uh, by Panasonic in Japan strictly for security. We really used the airports to, to catch, you know, people who are on wanted lists. But now we're seeing a lot of demand for everything from analytics in retail stores, uh, some change in labor laws in California where, you know, workers have to be paid the minute they walk onto a, a premises. Some companies are looking at using facial recognition for that. So, you know, you can take a core technology that was developed for one business and by, you know, working with our teams who work very specifically across different verticals, very close to each of the the industries they work in, we can take those technologies and move it it across and innovate that way. What about, like, what's next? What What is next for Panasonic in terms of how you can continue to kind of, like, push the cutting edge you know, and get get stuff, get that feedback from customers and put it out in the market? Yeah, I mean, I think what's next for us is we recognize, you know, within the B2B solutions organization that uh, we have been primarily in the hardware business uh, up until this point. We're making organizational and structural changes to enable us to bring those Gemba process type innovation solutions to market faster. And also, we've uh, realigned where we put a lot of our software development resources. Traditionally, it's been in Japan. We feel sometimes there's a little bit of distance between the customers. So we now have resources here uh, based in the United States, uh, both New York, Chicago, and some, you know, Texas. We have software capability. And we really want to start looking at how we build out, you know, specific applications uh, driven by our customers and then build a whole services portfolio around it. I mentioned earlier, we had acquired our uh, services company uh, in Kansas City Heartland Customer Solutions. And we see that as you know, the kind of epicenter of how we build out more engineering services, manage services for customers, uh, both reseller channel partners as well as some end use customers as well. So that's, that's how we see the next evolution uh, of our business. Switching gears to some of the leadership kind of challenges do you find it's tough to manage you know a team that is in multiple time zones like what are some best practices of managing a team the size that that you've been doing for a long time yeah i mean i I can manage a couple of different teams and you're right in the united states they're geographically located all over the country i mean my philosophy around always you know leading organizations is really it's relatively straightforward as my main job as a, as a business leader is to find the right people and put them in the right jobs, you know, communicate our, our strategy clearly, and then allow those people to do the jobs. I mean, I, I've found that effective. So to me, it's all about team development, uh, putting the right people in place. If everybody's buying into the strategy and the messaging and, you know, the overall business structure, I found that's the most effective way to, to lead organizations. It's kind of back to the original, uh, you know, much just the philosophy, a little bit of autonomous management. Uh, you know, I I have hundreds of people who are technically in my organization, so I couldn't possibly, you know, manage them on a day-to-day basis. So it's all around communication and trust. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, do you like, are you using uh, like obviously digital tools and things like that, but what are the things that like, you know, you use to, you know, decrease silos and increase collaboration and things like that. And I don't mean necessarily specific vendors, but some of those kind of like techniques that can, can kind of help get everyone on the same page or, or things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, even within Toughbook, I mean, we're, you know, we, we even have our own sort of silos within Toughbook. We have, you know, specialized teams doing federal government, for example, and then we have specialized teams working transportation, logistics, field service, manufacturing, then public sector and utilities. So although the, the product lineup might be similar, the businesses actually have their own sort of nuances and their own, their own identity. So we meet regularly uh, as a team, either remotely you know, using various web tools and, and you know things just as we're doing today. Uh, we do like we do meet face to face monthly basis. We we have quarterly business reviews, and then we also have meetings out with of our own business groups with the other B two B channels within Panasonic. And one of the things we've done recently is uh, formed a new sort of solutions marketing center here in the United States. So. Instead of just having a mobility marketing group and a security marketing group, we've got a sort of overriding organization that's taking a much more holistic view of the business uh, overall. And so if we're going into the same sort of industry, the same customer set, but with completely different products, we will now be ensuring that it's the same look, feel, messaging, uh, so customers have a little more uh, Straight interaction with the company and the breadth of, of technology and solutions that we can actually bring. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like the lightning platform from Salesforce. Fast and easy questions coming at you. Magnus, are you ready? I'm ready, sir. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Uber Eats. What is your favorite time-saving tool? Uh, Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Favorite vacation spot? Highlands of Scotland. So we had uh, when we had Graham, the CIO of Informatica, he said Isle of Arran. That was, he, he said that's his number one. I, I go a little further north. I go way up north. Isle of Skye? Where are you talking here? Uh, I... Sky on the west side. I usually got to a place called Dornoch, which is up in the northeast of Scotland. So Dornoch has a magnificent golf course that nobody's ever really heard of because it's quite remote. And the other amazing thing about it was Madonna got married there to Guy Ritchie. So that's just two <laughs> claims, claims of fame. I love it. That's great. Uh, do you have a favorite book or recent podcast that you've read or listened to recently? My favorite book was uh, Graham Greene, Our Man in Havana. Always loved that book. What technology are you most excited about coming in the future? That's a good question. I'm most, from a, from a work point of view, I'm probably more interested in how we evolve into some of the wearable type devices. I think from a personal point of view, I'm, you know, kind of everything, everything on an app and, all the time saving and things I can do from a from an application type driven. Um, we work a lot in the restaurant sector still, and I'm you know there's a lot of things happening in that space. 
around payment, mobile ordering, uh, affecting the whole supply chain, which I think will be tremendously game-changing for people in their lives as well as the industry itself. How about best advice for someone to stay in a company as long as you have? A lot of people switch companies every every year, every couple of years now, but you've been you've been holding strong. What's the secret? You know, I, I think for me, you know, a company like Panasonic has many different businesses. So although it's the same company, I, I've I've probably had six or seven different jobs. So, you know, that that's helped me stay interested and motivated with, with new challenges. I, I think with any organization, it's really understanding how it actually works. I mean, every organization has a structure. Panasonic is a, a kind of combination of a North American and a Japanese business. And it's, you know, really understanding the fundamentals of how the company works, what it's really committed to, how the internal structures work and how that relates to the external. And, you know, large organizations can be fascinating some things about, you know, how things work from a political point of view, organizational structure. And, you know, I, I, I always believe you should should listen more than you talk. And I think anybody joining a big company like Panasonic, you know, just spend some time, get to know, get to know how it works. And, uh, you know, it'll be different. And, you know, Japanese companies, I'm sure, are very different from Korean companies, very different from German companies. They each have their identity. You've got to figure out what the identity is and where you fit into that. Awesome. Magnus, that's all we got. That's it, that's it for today. We really appreciate coming on the show and, and hanging out. Any final thoughts or any anything to plug? Ah. Uh, Oh, I'll do the plug. I mean, our Tuskbook business is—it's uh, growing. It continues to be profitable. We're close to our customers. We're we're happy with where the business is going, and you know, we're endlessly committed to quality and ensuring customers are, you know, truly see us as a technology partner. And if we keep doing that, I think our business will continue to uh, continue to grow. I, I always say to my team, anybody can sell a customer once. You know, can you do it two, three, four times? Can you maintain those relationships for? 10, 15, 20 years. And I think we're good at that. It's a great point. Great last words. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ian. Salesforce just introduced Salesforce Blockchain, the industry's first truly declarative blockchain platform integrated into your CRM. Learn more at salesforce.com slash blockchain.